Amen and amen. Let's celebrate Jesus. Come on, man. Celebrate him. Come on. Woohoo! Hey, I want to show you a picture tonight and ask you to pray for my lovely family. Can I show you a picture of my family tonight? There they are up on the, st on the screen. There's a, aw. There is uh, my lovely wife, Angie, of uh, August 2nd of this year will be 14 years. And then, of course, you guys have met Brixton. And uh, you guys, thank you all so much for letting Bricks hang out with you today. You guys had a good time with Bricks today. That, those of you who got a chance to hang out with him, cool. So we'll be hanging out. Thank you so much. And then there's Xavier behind Angie, better known as X-Man at our house. And then Briven, uh, better known as Super B around our house. And then, uh, then there's the Georgia Rain baby girl princess. And so we just pray for them as I travel. Uh, pray for my wife that uh, the Lord would just encourage her. And so if you'd like to follow us on social media, my Twitter, um, pretty much all of my social media, whether it's, uh, I don't use Snapchat a lot, but uh, everything is simply Brian, B-R-I-A-N-B-B-M. And the B-B-M is just simply Brian Burgess Ministries. So if you guys would want to do that, we'd love it. I get the chance to travel and speak for a ministry called Crossroads Summer Camps. 22 years ago, my best friend in life, uh, Clayton King, and I started a ministry where uh, we could draw students from all over the United States in to come to our summer camps. And so um, uh, it's opened up the door for me to be here with you guys also. So we take mission trips to every continent on the face of the earth. And so if you'd love someone to partner with you um, to uh, develop and build a mission trip, we'd love to do that with you. And I'll tell you more about that later on. You ready to get in the Word tonight? Come on. Turn to Luke chapter 19. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story. So <clears throat> I grew up. I was born in Florida. Any, any Floridians in here? Or I just got all Texans. That's what I'm talking about. Where in Florida were you? Pensacola, Florida. By the way, there's a Bible part of Florida. That's it. So, no, just kidding. All right. Well, how about you, little brother? Hmm? Leesburg? Cool, man. Anybody else? I see another hand. For Florida, Floridian? Sorry, I got a spotlight in my... Yes, ma'am. Fort Myers, what's up? I just flew into Fort Myers. I was just in Fort Myers not long ago. Cool. So I, I was born in Orlando, and my parents lived in Melbourne and, and Kissimmee, Florida. And in Florida, one of the best parts about living in Florida is that wherever there is a, wherever there is a body of water, there's, a, there's fish. And so we, we grew up fishing. I absolutely love fishing. We also grew up with two other kind of pastimes that were kind of dangerous but fun, one of which is picking blackberries. Anybody, anybody like blackberries, like blackberry jelly? You know, oh, I got some old school folks up in here. That's what I'm talking about. Mama or grandma makes some blackberry jelly. Boy, put that thing on a hot biscuit. Woo! Yes, that's what I'm talking about. And so the crazy thing was is the next hobby we had kind of went with picking blackberries. So my mama, what's her name? Little Lo, Little Loretta. Little Loretta could just kill, kill some blackberry jelly, let me just tell you, and blackberry preserves. And so we would go, my sister Cynthia B, and myself, and my dad Lamar, um, when we were little, we would always drive into these huge, monstrous blackberry patches and pick blackberries. Now, the other crazy part about this was that when we were little, my dad built bridges all throughout Florida, um, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Mississippi, and Alabama. And so everywhere, basically, he went, he, he got good at either fending off alligators or snakes. And so every time we would go pick blackberries, it was always in Florida where there were rattlesnakes. And so my parents, my mom and dad, figured out how to make money out of that. And there was a place in Florida called Gatorland, and so that they would catch rattlesnakes, and they'd sell the rattlesnakes for $1.75 a foot. This is in the 1970s to Gatorland and pay for mine and my sister's diapers and formula and whatever else we needed. You with me? So I'll never forget, me and my pop, I'll show you a picture. We were on our way. That's, that's, little, that's little me. Uh, see, I told y'all I had an afro. Y'all didn't believe it, all right? But anyway, <clears throat> that's me as a little kid. My dad had this big, green, jacked-up Chevrolet pickup truck. And it had big old knobby tires on it, man. And I know some of y'all are wigging out right now because you're actually wondering, what is Brian doing standing up in the seat? Yes, that picture is taken in the truck. We are actually moving down the highway. I grew up in the generation where we didn't have car seats and we didn't have to wear a seat belt. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So I know, I know it's, uh, 
Do I have any adults who remember those days? Come on, y'all don't look at me like I'm crazy. We actually rode our bicycles without helmets, okay? <gasps> All right. I thought a hat turned around backwards was a helmet when you were on your motorcycle, okay? That's how I grew up. That's why my ADD kicks in so bad. It's got so many wrecks I had. My parents had the best safety restraint ever. If they got ready to stop real quick, they went, Whoa! like that. And, dude, if they hit you across the body, <laughs> the seatbelt wasn't what you were worried about. You were worried about them crushing your rib cage, okay? Like putting your heart into, like, cardiac arrest because they slapped it, stopped, you know? So we pulled up into this, uh, we pulled up in this blackberry patch, man, and my dad grabbed me and my sister and put us in the bed of the truck. And they looked at us and they said, look, y'all stay right here. Y'all know the word y'all? Okay, cool. I just did a camp in Indiana, and I had to teach them the word y'all, okay? So they said, y'all stay right here. We'll bring the blackberries back. I do not want you getting out of the truck. And so they were standing all around us, and they were picking blackberries, and they'd bring them back in these little tubs. And boy, look at me. I was, I was just throwing them to the face, y'all. I mean, I had blackberry juices coming out. It was all over me. Woo! I was eating them things. And so my sister still had plenty, but she wasn't about to share. Y'all got a sister like that? You know what I'm talking about? She was not about to share her blackberries. So my parents had, had gone on. They were picking. They were picking. They had, they had several containers, somehow another hook to them, and they were picking. And, man, I looked down, and I was out of blackberries, but I looked down right on the other side of the bed of the pickup truck, and, man, there were all kinds of blackberries, and they were at my height. Y'all know what I'm saying? They were, they were down on my level. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to slip out. I'm going to come over this tailgate right quick, and I'm going to slip down. I can still remember the bumper hitting me in my chin as I fell down to the ground. And, dude, I started just eating. And, I mean, I was eating, and I was eating, and I was blazing a trail eating. And I'll never forget, I wasn't paying no attention to my sister. I wasn't paying no attention to where the truck was. I wasn't paying any attention to nothing, baby. I was just rolling right along. And I mean, eating myself silly until all of a sudden I heard the worst sound I'd ever heard in my life. Y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think somebody, somebody, yeah, it was one of those moments. And it wasn't just one, guys. It was a pile of sound like the sound was so loud it was disorienting to me it was so loud my mom my mom so my name is Brian it's two syllables y'all with me Brian right my mama can make my name one syllable Brian okay anybody got mama grandmama like that just turn your two syllable name into one syllable right well she never called my dad Lamar she always called him Mar like if something was serious she would say Mar and all of a sudden, as soon as that sound took off, my mom yelled, Mar! Brian's not in the truck! And then my mama started wigging out. Like, you know what I'm saying? She was just screaming. She was running back to the truck. And I didn't have a clue where I was at. But students, I'll never forget hearing thud, thud, thud. And all of a sudden, my right arm, yay, just getting yanked up over my head. And all of a sudden, it was like, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. And what had happened was my dad found me, yanked me up. My feet are dragging across the top of the blackberry bushes. And he's looking at me going, boy, what you doing over here? Are you supposed to be here? I was like, no, sir. I have blackberry juice everywhere. He put me back in the truck. And then him and my mom went and basically cleaned out an entire den of rattlesnakes that I had walked up on top of. Now, what amazes me is not only the payday they got that day, it also altered the punishment <laughs> that I got, but it amazes me that I got into a situation because I what? Come on, talk to me. I didn't listen. And I was in a situation that was way, way worse than I could even probably to this moment even understand how bad it was. But what amazes me even more of that is I had a daddy who knew how to get right to the place and the spot where I was in the most danger. And he knew exactly what to do to rescue me and get me out of that situation. You see, students, what I want you to understand is that the Bible knows that you and I normally don't listen. 
Matter of fact, from birth, you and I don't listen. Why? Because we got this mega problem called, talk to me, sin. And how do we define sin last night? Sin is simply what? Choosing your way over, over God's way. And what most of us don't realize is how deadly and dangerous and entrapping sin is. And so we don't pay much attention to it until there are whistles and bells and sirens going off to the point where it disorients us. But what I want you to understand, students, is you have a Heavenly Father who not only knows where you are at, you have a Heavenly Father who knows how to get to you. And when He knows how to get to you, He not only knows how to get there to stand beside you, He also knows how to move you out of that situation to where you can be rescued. Tonight I want us to look at a passage of scripture that is probably familiar to you if you've ever spent any time in church. It's about a dude by the name of Zacchaeus. Anybody ever heard his name? How do you know Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Y'all getting weak now. Yeah, everybody knows that first part, don't they? Come down, because I'm going to your house today. Right. So we made this story, we made this story, this amazing story, a kid's story. And for many of us, it's taken the power away from this story. We remember the song, but we don't have any really clue what's going on. I want to take a look at this story tonight, because this is a story about one guy who did not listen to what was told to him, and it got him in a situation. But he had not only just a situation, he has a Savior who can get to the spot where he's at and change every part about him. Let's pick up the passage, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 and following. The Bible reads, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there named by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree since Jesus was coming that way. Now, as we leave this up here for a second, I hope you have your stuff to take notes with tonight. I want you to think about a few things. Number one, without the Bible telling us, it's already giving us information about a guy named Zacchaeus. Number one, we know that that name Zacchaeus originates from a Jewish lineage, so this guy is a Jew. All right? You with me? Now hang on to this because it's going to mean something. And his name, Zacchaeus, means this. It was short for Zechariah, which means the righteous one. Y'all with me? Now in our world in which we live today, how many of you guys know what your name means? Cool. What's, what's your name right over here in the pink? What's your name? Aiden? What's it mean, Aiden? It means fiery. Do you have red hair? That's awesome. That's really cool. Awesome. Aiden means fiery. How about you right there, uh, bearded man? Matthew. What does Matthew mean? Gift of God. And I'm, thank you for telling us that tonight. Just have a t-shirt with that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Matthew. Uh, right here, young man. His name is Joshua, and what does it mean? The Lord, the Lord saves. Yeshua, yeah. All right, let me have a young lady. Where's the young lady at? Uh, right over there in the back. What, what's your name mean? And what's your name? Megan. It means child of light. Okay, cool. You got some haters up here in front of you that... Don't want to celebrate your name. It's okay. I saw that. Jesus will rescue your heart too. <laughs> Don't be like this and then turn around like this. Hypocrites. <laughs> I love y'all though. Mean it. Bless. All right. So here's, okay, I got enough of them right now. Thank you. You can tell me that later at, at breakfast or after glow or something like that. So here's the deal. His, he's a Jew and his name means the righteous one. Now that doesn't mean much to us unless we understand what it means to be righteous. In the Old Testament, a person who was righteous, come on guys, pay attention tonight. A person who was righteous was one who lived, depended on God. 
In the Old Testament, a person who was wicked, who is the opposite of righteous, is a person who lived by their own standards. So this dude, when he came out of his mama's womb, they looked at him and said, the righteous one, the one who will live dependent upon God. And he was to be held accountable to live out what his name meant. And here's the crazy thing. The Bible says he was a chief tax collector. Now here's what's so crazy. How do you become a tax collector? When Rome took over this part of the Middle East, they all basically mandated a tax to be taken from that area. Now how they would do this, because the Roman kingdom, the, the Roman Empire was so spread out, is they would, they would bid out the tax industry, kind of like the IRS, okay? They would bid that out. And people in those areas would accept the bid or they would bid to say, I'll be the tax representative here. Now, here's the crazy thing. Can we add a few things to this? So what, what ethnicity is Zacchaeus? He's a Jew. And this is a tax mandated by Rome. So for him to even be a tax collector would mean that he would have been very much disliked by his what? Cousins, brothers, nephews, and his people. Are you with me? Y'all digging me? Now, I'm not cracking a bunch of jokes tonight. There's a whole lot of movement in this room, okay? So, Lord, I'm just praying that you would draw our attention in right now so that we can study your word and it fill our hearts to overflow so that we can know you're enough in Jesus' name. Now, here's how you would make your money as a tax collector. At certain times, the tax collector would have to pay the dues owed to Rome, but how they would make their money is they would add a percentage to it. But many of them would take way more than they were ever supposed to take for it. And this is what it, the Bible tells us Luke, the doctor records, says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he wasn't just running your meal, a nobody, like, you know, just, you know, wearing a shoestring kind of budget. This dude was good at what he did. He was in control of other tax collectors. He was the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, make you scream, oh, like Jerry Clower. This dude was amazing and what also it says is that he was wealthy that meant he was stinking good at what he did so what it did for Zacchaeus guys and the Bible doesn't tell us this but because of what we know historically it was it would be like having a cousin who wrote you a letter and said hey I'm leaving the United States I'm going to fight for Isis how upset would you be at that cousin that's exactly the kind of situation that Zacchaeus is in because he is basically befriending and making money off of the government who is taking who is taking control of what they believe is the promised land or God's land. Are you with me? And on top of all that, he's what? He's short. Right? He's short. And he hears about Jesus coming by and he wants to see him. And so notice what the Bible says. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him because he couldn't see him because of the crowd. Now, when I read this story, I can handle all that up there. But when I get to the place at the very end of verse 3, and it says that he wanted, excuse me, back up, that he wanted to see Jesus. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. My question is this, okay? Y'all ready? It's a big spiritual question. I want you to be ready for it. I want you to write down. This is just how my brain works. When I read the Bible, here's my question. You ready? One, two, three. Why? Why? Why in the world does he want to see who Jesus is? I mean, if he lived in the 21st century today, it seems like he's doing pretty good on his own as though everything he has is enough. You with me? Now, here's what we really miss because most of us don't spend any time in the Scripture is that I think I can answer this question. You with me? The Bible says that he couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran to a tree. Now, let me say a few things. Y'all with me tonight? I know I'm not cracking a bunch of jokes, but you'll understand this, hopefully. In the New Testament, specifically in the Gospel of Luke, 
dignified men who were of some type of value in the community, if they were older and they had some elite status, do not run. Y'all with me? You ever see an old man run? No. No. Older men who are of some type of authority have other people run for them. Specifically if they can pay for it. Are you with me? It shows a little bit of their, it, it, would, sh it would show some of their disgrace. If you guys seen those Pepsi commercials where, where the pro ballers and stuff dress up like old men and they go out and they ball on people, you know, break ankles, all that kind of stuff, you know. I just love that stuff. And everybody is impressed. Why? Because they don't expect an older person or a senior adult to do anything like this. Zacchaeus has status. His status may not be light, but he has status. Are you with me? There's only one other place in the scripture, like in, in Luke's gospel, where an older man runs, and that's in the prodigal son story. Do you remember that? Y'all with me? And when he sees his son coming back, he takes off running. Now, here's the second reason I think I can answer the question, why? Where are the ladies at in the house? Ladies, I'm going to need your help for just a second, okay? I'm going to need your help for just a second. Have y'all ever, well, let me ask this question. Ladies, how difficult is it to run with a dress on? Okay, okay. I know some of y'all been waiting to talk. It don't require all that, okay? <laughs> all right, I'll let you talk here in a second. Ready, sit, zip it. Okay, thank you. Difficult, right? Let me ask you a question. In the first century world, did men wear suits and pants, or what did they wear? They wore a robe, not a dress, okay? They wore a robe, but kind of acts and functions like a dress, right? Now, ladies, help us out here, okay? If you are, are wearing a, a dress, how do you run in a dress? You got to what? You got to hike it up. You got to kind of pinch it up, right? Right here, okay, or... Or, or hold on to it. Why? So you don't show all your secrets. Okay? Ready? I'm not trying to be rude. Not trying to be gross. Not trying to be inappropriate. How difficult would it be to, if you were to run with a dress on and trip and fall, like to hold on to your modesty? Because modest is hottest. Okay? You with me? It'd be kind of difficult, right? Let me ask you a further question. How difficult would it be to climb a tree with a dress on, run to a tree, climb a tree with a dress on, and still hold on to your dignity? Talk to me. Very difficult, right? So check this out. We have a Jewish man whose name means dependent on God, who in all standards by the culture has everything he would possibly need. He's got influence. He's got lovers, he's got haters. Don't hate the game, don't hate the players, just hate the game. He is chief over people around him, and as the scripture says, talking about him wealthy, he's not standing waiting for somebody to hand out. He can pay his own bills. But when he hears about Jesus, there is something so undone inside of him that the Bible says he ran and he climbed up a tree, which would have meant he would have risked exposing his dignity as a chief tax collector and as a standard of authority in his community to the point that it meant that there must have been something so big going on with him that he says, I don't care what anybody's got to say about me because I got to see who that man is. Y'all with me tonight? Does that make sense? Now, you gloss over that because we made it a kid's story. It's not a kid's story. It's a story for the guy or the girl or the adult who has got to that place in life to where you're saying, I am not worried about what anybody's got to say about me because there's got to be a change in me. Here's my question if you're taking notes tonight. I want us to look at this real quick. Let's go to the first set of questions here, bro. Here we go. What is in your life that you would become undignified to let Jesus take, heal, and forgive. What is in your life right now 
that you know is so, ugh, that's the only way I can express it. That that memory, that that addiction, that that struggle, that that hidden thought, that that hidden activity, whatever it is, is so, so overwhelming you that you would be like Zacchaeus. You'd be willing to hike it up and become undignified just so you could see Jesus. That you would be willing to let him have it, to let him take it, to let him forgive it, and you wouldn't care what anybody's got to say. See, what I love is let's go now to the text, and I want you to see what Jesus did. We're going to come back to these, to these here in just a second. Y'all still with me tonight? Is this making sense? Watch this. Verse 5. And when Jesus reached the what? The spot. You can underline that right there. Mm, I love that. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. That word immediately is where we get our word speedo from. You ever seen a speedo? That's literally the Greek word. I mean, it's really where we get it. It means no material wasted now, right? Immediately. He said, I must stay. That word stay literally means live. In other words, I'm coming to your house and I'm in no hurry to leave. He says, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now notice verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a what? What's a sinner? One who chooses their way over God's way. Hang here with me. See, what I love about the fact the Bible mentions the spot is this, guys. Jesus knows how to, go back to my notes if you want to, bro. Jesus knows how to get to the place right where you are where you don't even realize how much danger you're in, but he knows how to get where you are. You see, this spot is the precise place that he needs to show up to change everything about you. The spot for me was in the middle of those blackberry bushes, and my daddy knew how to get there to me, but he not only knew how to get to me, he knew how to get me out of there. You see, for some of us, that spot is so well hidden from everybody else, maybe even your best friend. For some of you, it's that place in your mind where it's just self-destructive talk. For some of you, it's in that broken relationship. For some of you, it's in your daddy issues. For some of you, it's in, it's in your performance issues. For some of you, that spot is your self-image. For some of you, it's that secret, hidden, addictive sin that you, you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. And it's going to take a different power to change you. For some of you, it's stuff that you've gone through. And see, what I love about the students is that immediately when Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house. He's saying, I'm not worried about what you got to hide because I already know it. Isn't that the beauty of that? You know, the beauty of the gospel is this. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. Woo! Yes! Look, I know you want to be fancy, but girl, you got to be free before you can be fancy. I know you all about that base, all that base, no trouble, but you got to learn how to be about all his grace. And I know my girl, Tay-Tay Swift, she says it like this, boys only want love when it's torture, but honey, you had, a, you had a man who was tortured for you, so you know what love is all about. Ooh. Amen? Oh, you can tweet that. I don't care. Amen? See, some of us, guys, you don't need 50 shades of gray. You need one shade of truth, and this is it right here. And see, when all that other stuff is in my life, I try to hide out the fact that I don't need him when all the while he knows exactly where I'm at, he knows exactly what I need, and he's more than willing to come hang out where I am to get me out of there. See, what I love about this story, guys, is Zacchaeus is in the tree condemned, but in a few chapters, Jesus is going to climb that tree, condemn himself so that Zacchaeus can come down forever. And that same truth is true not only for Zacchaeus, it's true for you. And here's what I love about the story too, students, is that as soon as Zacchaeus comes down and they take off to his house, the people around start going, oh my goodness, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. You see, normally sinners go to the house of God to visit with God, but today God goes to the house of a sinner to change him forever. And that's the kind of Savior you have. Y'all with me? 
See, Jesus isn't worried about your, your critics and waiting for their approval before he's willing to do something in your life. Some of you have grown up with awful things said to you, and that's the reason why you can't believe that he's a good, good father. For some of you, that's the reason why it doesn't transfer that you have the ability in him to be changed forever. And students, I want you to understand that he knows how to get to you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. And he's not worried about your critics. See, some of y'all are waiting for your critics to get serious about Jesus, so you'll get serious about Jesus. Girl, my boy, whoa, if you got Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, how much more affirmation do you need? He stretched out his hands and his feet on the cross. He, he let there be holes in his hands and his feet so he could fill every deficit in you. What more do you need? He is enough. Now, can we go forward in the text? Y'all with me tonight? I ain't mad at you. I'm just, this, this is too powerful to be kind of passive about it. This is too amazing to be kind of like, isn't that special? That's just so wonderful tonight. See, Jesus didn't come to avoid sinners. He came to embrace sinners. And what's the spot that he needs to meet you at tonight? Watch as the text goes forward. So they take off to Zacchaeus' house, and immediately when they bust up in the door, notice what Jesus, Zacchaeus does. And Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look. Said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What? That dude just made it rain. He just said, I'm going to give half of everything I got to the poor. And if I've cheated out anybody of anything, I'm going to pay it back four times as much. Whoa. Now, my, when I read this, y'all ready? Here's my question. Why? Why? Like, did I miss something? Was there something in there when Jesus, did y'all read, did y'all read it? Between verses 6 and verse 7, did y'all read a little passage in there that said, on the way there, Jesus told him, if you want to be right with me, give everything you have, half of what you have to the poor, and give four times as much to anybody that you wronged? Did y'all see that in the text? Here's my question. Where'd that come from? I think I can answer it. Can I answer it for you? In the same gospel, you sure y'all with me tonight? In the same gospel, 16 chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer, is baptizing people. And there's a crowd gathered around to watch him baptize and to be baptized by him. And before he baptizes them, he preaches to them. And notice what he says to them, students. Let's take a look at John, Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. John the Baptist says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? You see, it becomes, how many of you guys gave your life to Christ last night? Raise your hand. Polly all up in here. Amen. Polly all up in here. How many of y'all tonight would say, hey man, I am a Christian. I was a Christian before I got to camp. I praise God that he saved me, not because of what I did, but because of what he did for me. Awesome. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The word repentance means to have remorse or regret over choosing your way over God's and realizing that you're in the wrong direction and immediately you turn. It's what I call the Jesus 180. It's that when by Jesus' spirit, he wakes me up and I go, what in the world am I doing? I can't live like this. And I turn and I live for him. Y'all with me? So in other words, John's saying, in your life, have the evidence that you actually do belong to God. That you actually have done the Jesus 180. What do you mean by that, Brian? Very difficult for us to come in here and go, grace. What have you done? Mama, I can't stand you. You made me sick. I can't wait to graduate. I hate you. Hello? 
See, I run into students all the time that'll go on a mission trip. They'll go all kinds of car washes and, and junkyard sales and all kinds of stuff to raise money to go to Peru to put shoes on some kids who want to play soccer. But their mama can't tell that they love Jesus by the way they treat them Monday through Sunday. Where'd y'all go? Hello? Could you imagine your mama knowing that you know Jesus as your personal Savior just simply by how you treat her? I'll never forget, guys, when I got saved, I started listing out the areas in my life that had to change. And one of those was my mom. My mom was in the midst of a struggle trying to figure out how the love of her life didn't love her anymore. And here I was as her now 16-year-old son who had just given his life to Christ who came to the realization Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be many. And I thought, yeah, if I keep acting the way I am, I'm going to kill me. My days aren't going to be many. But I'll never forget, guys, thinking when I read 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever I do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. I'm like, I need to treat my mama for the glory of God. So I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I've been living in this house 16 years. My mama shouldn't have to ask me to do anything. I mean, we're not making rocket ships one day and PB&J's the next. We do the same thing every day. We get up in the morning, we go to school, we make lunches, we dirty our, our clothes, we dirty the house. We got to put stuff up. So I made it in a commitment in my heart. My mama's not going to have to ask me to do another thing. And I'll never forget, guys, when little Loretta, y'all say little Loretta? Little Loretta rolled up in my room on Saturday afternoon. She said, are you not going out? I said, nope. How comes? I said, because the people that want to go out with me, when I go out with them, I have a hard time living for Jesus. She said, you already done all your chores. Why don't you go out? I said, thanks for noticing I've done my chores, mama. She said, you know, it's been about two and a half weeks since I've had to ask you to do anything. Who are you and what have you done with Brian Burgess? <laughs> I said, it's me, mama. And I said, Mama, here's the deal. If Jesus can save me at church, he can save me at home, too. I want you to see it's me, but it's a new me. Not because of me, Mama. It's because of Jesus. And guys, I'll never forget watching my mama slump back against my bedroom door and just slide down into a crouch position and boo-hoo her eyes out. And it, woo, man, it's still good. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't speak that to get me. It still gets me today at 16 years old. I got to get up off of the side of my bed. I got to go and drape myself over my mama, and I got to pray for her out loud first time in my life. And I watched my mama change from that moment forward. See, some of you right now could be the spiritual encourager to your mama, your daddy, if you just let Jesus be enough for you. John saying, let's be consistent. He says, and do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. That'd be kind of like a church kid going, I go to church, man. It's all good. Jesus loves me. Well, I go to Pizza Hut. Doesn't make me a large pepperoni with cheese, does it? That's old school preaching right there, okay? He says, for I tell you that out of the stone, out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. And the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. In other words, what John's saying is that, look, God, if he wants to, he can raise up all the Fred Flintstone followers of his that he wants to out of these stones. So just thinking because you're good or you've been raised at this Baptist church or you're better than the average kid does not give you status with God. What gives you status with God is that if you've allowed him to change you and you're willing to live for him. Now, y'all with me? I don't want to lose you. We're still talking about Zacchaeus. Now, in few, just a few verses, notice what the Bible records. Go to the next slide there, bro. What type of people were sitting there listening about three and a half years before this event were listening to John the baptizer? Y'all with me? And I'm asking the question, why in the world does Zacchaeus stand up and say, I need to repent. I need to give half of what I got to the poor and four times as much to everybody that I took wrong, I just wonder if Zacchaeus was standing there. Notice what the scripture says. And tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? 
And John the baptizer says, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And guys, I can't prove it. Y'all with me tonight? But I'm just wondering if there was a young Zacchaeus that was maybe straight out of business school, had his MBA, and he was becoming the tax representative for his region. And maybe that day he said, man, I'm going to be the one tax collector that's going to be the difference. Because my name means what? The righteous one, the one who depends on God. But what happened? I just wonder if that first day when Zacchaeus set up his tax collector's booth, that that one dude in high school rolled up. And saw that it was Zacchaeus and looked at him and said, I should have really beat you up in high school. You ain't nothing but a short turkey anyway. And before the guy could back away, Zacchaeus went, "Uh uh-uh, that's not enough. Y'all digging me? I wonder what happened in Zacchaeus' life to where his name didn't mean anything anymore. I wonder if all that short stuff, I wonder what Zacchaeus' reflection was the first day he heard some kids say, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I wonder what he thought. said, okay, sing the song all you want to. I get paid for y'all to sing my song. To the point that all of it kept adding up to where he became the chief. See, students, it isn't an issue of getting what you want. It's an issue of wanting it after you got it. And I watch students work hard to be the number one baseball player. I watch students to be the strongest kid in the school. I watch students to be the cutest and prettiest and most petite and most attractive girl or most handsome, good-looking, sought-after guy. I, I watch students work diligently to try to fit in with that group and What begins to happen, I think, is what happens to Zacchaeus is he got to a level of life to where he was like, this is not where I want to be. And it was enough for him to hike it all up and say, I need to go see Jesus because he's the only one who can change me. And no sooner does they get to the place where it mattered most, Zacchaeus stood up and said, this is what change looks like for me. Notice as the scripture goes forward, guys. Zacchaeus stood up and said that to the Lord. And now notice verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that or see, save what was lost. Now, here's what amazes me about this passage, guys. And get ready, bro, to show the next picture. In this story, Zacchaeus has a real issue. But he has a Savior who knows how to get to the spot of exactly where he's at. He knows how to get to that spot to change everything. And that's the power of the cross, students. And I I basically got two questions for you tonight. Number one, what is it that's weighed down inside of you that only Jesus can change? You see, after 20 plus years of traveling and working with students, I found students who, who got in with the group, but the drama was so ridiculous, they're like, I can't even take it anymore. I don't even enjoy going to school. And these are students who know Jesus as their personal Savior. And to that student, I say, what does repentance look like for you? You see, in this passage, Zacchaeus doesn't go, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I accept you as Savior and Lord of my life, changing me forever. No, Zacchaeus has a very willful 180 to say, this is what needs to change in me. And I do so in your presence, Jesus, because you came to the spot to rescue me. I wonder if some of you tonight, that the spot for you to rescue is right now before two-a-days start for the football season because it's, it's just so much pressure. I wonder if some of you tonight, 
Repentance for you would, would, would really look like taking your smartphone that's so smart that it's making you do dumb stuff that you right now would have the freedom to get rid of that, that secret Facebook, that secret place where you hide all those pictures that have been texted to you. I wonder if tonight would be a night where maybe even you would even give your phone to your youth pastor and say, I want you to hold this. This is a gateway in my life that is destroying me, and I want you to have this. I'm going to text my mama. I'm going to tell her I'm giving you my phone, and when I get home, I'm going to ask her to take my phone forever. Because that's what repentance looks like. I am grieved over where I've grown. I wonder if some of you tonight, repentance would actually be going to someone, maybe like calling your mama, maybe calling your daddy, maybe talking to your youth pastor. Maybe you've been such a pain in the neck in his youth ministry or her youth ministry that you have not, they, ha, they can't even teach on Sunday. Your small group leader can't even teach in small group Bible studies on Sunday morning because it's the you show. And you're like, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But you can't shut your mouth long enough so that the word of God could be taught to eight other people in your class. Maybe repentance for you is to simply say to your youth pastor tonight, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you. Maybe every time the, the rule book comes out for camp and you see, oh, we can't wear, we got to wear a tankini, we can't wear a two-piece, what about a two-piece with a, with a shirt over it? And all of a sudden you go back to your mom or your dad and you're like I can't believe our youth pastor he's just blah 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 and then it starts the passive aggressive witch hunt against a strong woman of God or a strong man of God who's just trying to help you have an environment where you can see Jesus can get to your spot maybe repentance for you tonight looks like this forgiving others who've done things against you you see, in that, in that group where he took more than what he wanted, I guarantee you there were some guys in there that hey, he had old school grudges against. I bet there were some guys that came up to his table and spit on him when they laid down their taxes. I guarantee you there were some people that he was like, man, I don't, shouldn't just charge you four times as much. I ought to, I ought to take your entire house. You see, somewhere for him to have freedom to do that through Jesus, he had to forgive them. So I'm going to ask you tonight, what does repentance look like for you? For some of you, it, it's your image. And I'm going to ask the band to come on up. What is it that would need to change tonight? Now, I know I hadn't cracked a lot of jokes. But have you guys heard a word from God tonight? Amen? Have you, would you say you've been taught God's word tonight? And see, here's the deal. I want you to focus. I want you to focus. See, when you hear a word from him and you've been taught his word, you've got to do something with it. And my question for you tonight is this. What? does repentance look like for you? What does real remorse and regret over choosing your way over God's look like? And how now do you respond? This is what we're going to do tonight. As the band begins to play and they're going to give you time. They're not going to blow you off the stage. But we're going to turn the front of this, this sanctuary into an altar. In the ancient world, if you had something wrong between you and God, you would go to the altar and you would bow yourself down. In other words, you would become undignified. That the thought of God in your life and your life before God was so ugh, rough 
that you didn't care what people thought. You just had one thought in mind. I need to repent. And you would make yourself undignified. Like Zacchaeus, he hiked it up. He didn't care if somebody got up underneath that tree and saw all his stuff. You with me? He didn't care if somebody go, who? What's wrong with him? When did he turn into Forrest Gump? There was something so big inside of him that had to be made right that he knew he had to get to Jesus. And the best part about it was this, Jesus was already headed to him. See, when you're looking for a way out, the way, the truth, and the life is already looking for you. When you're looking for real healing, the healer already has healing for you. When you're looking to belong, the one who made every living creature and made a doorway for you to belong has already opened it up for you. The issue is, is would you humble yourself to say, I repent. I turn from choosing my way to turn to choose yours. And so if you're here tonight and you know repentance needs to happen in your life, you say, well, Brian, help me understand here. I mean, repentance, isn't that what unbelievers do? You're right. Unbelievers repent. They do a Jesus 180 to be saved. But believers repent for continued fellowship so I don't get to the place in life to where I think I don't need God anymore. And so my question for you tonight is this. Would you be willing to humble yourself either here at the front, somewhere on the side, somewhere where you can make yourself undignified and say, Jesus... I repent and not only say it but for some of us tonight for all of us who would say I need to repent we need to have fruit in keeping with repentance and so here's the deal if you want to confess it here you don't have to wait for me to pray for you you can come on up just like these are doing right now and not only do you need to make it right with God, some of you, your level of repentance looks just like Zacchaeus's. You need to repent before someone. God has spoken. He is in this spot right now. Would you let him rescue you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give students freedom to humble themselves and repent of sin. I pray to you, Jesus, that you would give students freedom to humble themselves now and experience the treasure of being made new by you. Father in heaven, would you give students freedom now and instruction of the Holy Spirit of what they need to turn from and who along with you that they need to repent before that we truly could be consistent in our relationship with you in Jesus name this is your moment students before the Lord we are not going to rush you you know you need to be here at this altar you know you need to be somewhere where you can bow down you can turn your chair into an altar but you can't make it an altar sitting there all comfortable you can't do it on your terms. You can't, you can't do it with your pride and your disbelief. You have to humble yourself before a king. And then repentance will take place.